Any views or opinions expressed on KUR are not necessarily those of Kutztown University, Kutztown University Student Government, Kutztown University Student Services Incorporated, KUR staff and management or other affiliated organizations. Hello and welcome to Boxwood Banter, the show that supports, educates, and empowers women. I'm Taya Miller, the Women's Center Graduate Assistant. We are located at Boxwood House across from Old Main. We are open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. In today's episode, we will discuss women's health issues in the medical field and how women can advocate for themselves. Our guest today is Jolie Solovey. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm a social work intern for the Women's Center, and I'm very passionate about advocacy and being able to advocate for yourself. Thank you for joining me today, Joe. You know, there are so many health issues that women struggle with daily. We hear story after story about women not getting the help that they need from their doctors or doctors not identifying their diagnosis correctly or even giving them a diagnosis at all. Right, and I remember seeing a story a little while ago uh, posted on TikTok. A woman named Amanda Lee, uh, she's 28 years old, she posted a TikTok in which she tearfully recounted her appointment with a gastroenterologist or a GI doctor. In the video, she talked about how she was having very intense leg and abdominal pain for months. And this doctor was actually the second GI she had gone to because no doctor would listen to her. And when she told the doctor about having such intense stomach pain that she couldn't eat, the doctor responded by saying, maybe that's not such a bad thing. That's ridiculous. Yeah, because she was overweight. Um... The video was posted in 2021, and it got the attention of other professionals, other medical professionals that were willing to listen and look into Amanda's symptoms further. In 2022, she posted a follow-up video in which she told the audience that it was a one-year anniversary of her stage 3 colon cancer diagnosis. And in this video, she blasted the other doctor for ignoring her textbook colon cancer symptoms. She has since been on talk shows and continues to spread awareness for women advocating for themselves in a medical setting. Well, good thing for those medical professionals that did reach out to her and were willing to help her actually receive a diagnosis. Yes. Because imagine if it wasn't stage three and it was stage four or she caught it further. I mean, Mm -hmm. it also could have been caught earlier, which sucks. Absolutely, yeah. There does seem to be a theme of gaslighting in women's health that we see whether it's heart disease labeled as anxiety, an autoimmune disorder attributed to depression, or ovarian cysts chalked up to be normal period pain. Many women's health issues are likely to be misdiagnosed or dismissed by their doctors as something less critical. A study published in Academic Emergency Medicine actually found that women who went to the emergency room with severe stomach pain had to wait for almost 33% longer than men with the same symptoms. So they found that there was a wait discrepancy of 16 minutes between the genders. So women had to wait 16 minutes longer Mm -hmm. on average than men for the same symptoms just because stomach pain for women is normal. It's something yeah, that you know they can handle, yeah. or it may not be that serious. It's just yeah. their period is always about the period. <laughs> yes, it's oftentimes what doctors tell us. So why do we see this? Why can men go into the doctor's office before us? Why are their concerns taken more seriously than ours? Mm-hmm. 
And there's a gender bias. It originated long ago. Um, did you know that the word hysteria originates from the Greek word for uterus? Yeah, I actually did learn that. The Hippocratic theory was that hysteria was caused by the uterus wandering about the women's body as a free organ and thus hysteria was only limited to women mm -hmm. female hysteria was actually once a common diagnosis for women which included symptoms like anxiety anger and sexual desire and many 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 women were given that diagnosis yeah and i wanted to add it's really interesting to me because right now i'm reading a book in my psychology of gender class uh the book is called the woman they could not silence it's by kate moore and it's about a woman named elizabeth packard who in the 1880s was admitted into an insane asylum by her husband because she started to basically think for herself and she started to disagree with her husband so she was deemed insane for this yeah, how many times do we hear the phrase, women are just hysterical, they're so yep. hysterical. Um, this is where that comes from. Dr. McNally from the Cats Women's Circle stated that anytime a woman complains about her health, it's related to her hormones or all in her head. And this is something that Dr. McNally has observed working with other doctors. Mm -hmm. So she often, she often saw women that were feeling angry you just get asked if you're on your period mm -hmm. or women experiencing weight gain concerns. Women are just overweight and obese. Women technically have more fat than men. They gain weight mm -hmm. faster. They lose weight. It takes them longer to lose weight. That's just facts, right? Mm -hmm. So weight gain concerns aren't taken seriously. And then we're told you're just anxious and hormonal. Right. Where are you at in your cycle? You're just hormonal. Yeah, that's a... Uh such a common one. Mm -hmm. Another reason why we see gaslighting happening in women's health is discrimination. So mm -hmm. a women's health survey actually found that 9% of women who have visited a health care provider in the past two years said that they had experienced discrimination based on their age, gender, race, sexual orientation, religion, or some other personal characteristic, weight being an important factor mm -hmm. in this. Yeah. Some shocking facts here are that women of color have shown to have biological and environmental stressors that have a negative impact on their health. However, their population is most likely to not be taken seriously in a medical setting or even viewed as being difficult. Many life experiences, such as experiencing Jim Crow laws or segregation, can also negatively affect your health decades later. Mm. Wow. They found that there is a correlation between breast cancer and black women and the experiences of segregation and Jim Crow laws when they mm. occurred, which is why breast cancer is higher in black women. Mm. I am very interested in this because I am a black American woman. So these are important for me to know, especially what I can ask for in a medical setting mm -hmm. when I do go. So National Academy Medicine also found that racial and ethnic minorities receive lower quality health care than white people, even when insurance status, income, age, and severity of conditions are comparable. So even if they make the same money, they are at the same job, mm -hmm. they have the same exact condition, people of color are still 
more likely to receive less quality health care. Wow. Yeah. And I think it's so important to address that, uh, that intersectionality and to address, you know, how having different identities can really Mm -hmm. either positively or negatively impact uh, the way that you're treated in the medical field. Um, I know as a white cisgender woman, I'm more likely to have my concerns listened to than um, a black woman. Mm -hmm. Just even the, like I said, the care that we receive. So high quality care can be anything like receiving a test or treatment that you needed for your condition. And people of color just don't receive that. There's Mm -hmm. basic tests that they're not getting, basic treatment that many other people get for things like cardiac care, transplants, and even dialysis. Yeah, the, the, of course it's all shocking and ridiculous, but I think uh, transplants really, that part kind of stood out to me because my understanding of how transplants work and the transplant list is... uh, um, you know, they're supposed to be very, like, strict about where you're placed on the list, and it's supposed mm-hmm. to just be about need. Right. You know, how severe is the problem? Right. And research is actually showing that that's not what's being followed in all cases. Mm-hmm. In some cases, with two of the same conditions, a uh, white woman and a black woman needs a kidney. Mm-hmm. They have the same condition the white woman is still more likely to be placed higher on that transplant Mm. list than that black woman. Yeah, that's definitely something that uh, really needs to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And something that we may see that's a little bit more common are getting tests done, Um, a simple blood test and things like that. So although research is supporting that, People of color experience health-related issues due to their environmental, biological factors, and past factors in history. Still, not all health professionals are ready to dive in and take the time to be patient mm-hmm. with those patients. They are still seen as difficult and oftentimes dismissed when they have right. symptoms. They're just not believed. So once we do get a doctor to believe our symptoms Mm -hmm. and take us seriously getting a diagnosis is a whole different process and ball game that you have to get into because if doctors can take you seriously they then have a reluctance to diagnose certain conditions symptoms that may appear to have a clear diagnosis or considered to be textbook symptoms can take six years to be diagnosed from a doctor especially if you're a woman Mm mm-hmm so with a diagnosis, why is a diagnosis important? Well, from my perspective, I've been diagnosed with multiple chronic health conditions. Um, and really the importance of having a diagnosis for me has just been being able to put a reason to what I've been, what I've been feeling, what I've been experiencing, you know, to say like, oh, that's why that's been happening, mm-hmm. you know, um, and to possibly even like take kind of personal responsibility off myself you know in in certain circumstances it's you can say like that wasn't my fault Mm -hmm. because I just had this condition yeah it's not something I did it's not how often I exercise or really what I was eating it's because of this exactly yeah that can really be a sense of relief for someone knowing what's causing their symptoms yeah definitely uh relief 
would be mm. the word as well. A diagnosis also helps insurance companies know that you have a condition that requires medical care, which helps you get the treatment that you need. Different treatment options covered. It provides an, an authorization for you to pay for any treatment that your doctor is recommending. So things such as medication, therapy, and any other treatment options that are available, your insurance company will be able to cover that. Some people do feel like, I don't want to go to the doctor because I don't want to get diagnosed some crap. I'm right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm healthy. But the diagnosis isn't that something is wrong with you necessarily. It's actually to help you get treatment. Right. And it's telling your insurance company that, hey, this is the medical condition that we're treating and you have it. Right. Yeah. And I have here a couple of examples of conditions that I, I've i observed and I've heard other people talk about that are... Um, especially difficult to get a diagnosis for if you are a woman or if you're AFAB. Right. Um, so first here I have autism and ADHD, and I have those two together because for both, uh, the diagnostic criteria is based on the behavior of young boys, and girls tend to exhibit different symptoms. So I see a lot of women, you know, in their 20s, 30s, saying, like, I just got my autism diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I am actually getting a master's degree in counseling from Kutztown, so I can speak on autism and ADHD there a little bit more. And those symptoms definitely do look different between boys and girls. I know with diagnosing those types of diagnoses, it's age onset that's really mm -hmm. important. So they really try not to diagnose at a young age. However, it could be more helpful if we could figure out some way what are the symptoms like in girls mm -hmm. and expand that so that everybody is aware so yeah. that it doesn't just look like boys misbehaving yeah and it's interesting that you say that because usually I have you know I always think that the kind of image of a person with autism is kind of just like a little white boy and I think we rarely talk about adults who have autism. Um, so I also have here um, endometriosis. And if you're not familiar with that, endometriosis is a condition that causes the uterine lining, which is called the endometrium, to grow outside of the uterus. So I believe it grows, can grow on the ovaries and the fallopian tubes. And this is a condition that causes excruciating pain, uh, not just when the person has their period, but just basically constant pain. Um, I think of endometriosis like um, all of the things near your uterus are kind of like fused almost. They're like really close yeah. together when they shouldn't be. Yeah, I believe that's, a pro at the very least, that's probably what it feels like. Yeah. Um, and people who have this, I think most people who have this have had to wait years yes. to get a diagnosis. Because, more than three. Uh, more than three. Yeah. Uh, because those kinds of symptoms, you know, of course, are going to be chalked up to having just really bad periods. You know, you just mm -hmm. have really bad periods, really bad cramps. And one of the reasons why that's kind of an explanation that doctors use is because of the misconception that... Uh, that endometriosis is rare. Yeah, yeah. That, that's rare. Um, but according to the World Health Organization, it affects about 10% or 190 million females of reproductive age. That is a lot. Yeah, that does not sound rare to me. 190 million? Yeah. That's a lot. Um, 
And really this similar thing is true for POTS. Mm -hmm. And POTS, and I hope I pronounce all this right, stands for Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. And it is a chronic disease affecting the autonomic nervous system, which controls automatic bodily functions such as heart rate and body temperature. And I believe that POTS has to do with uh, how the person's blood vessels constrict. So those who have this condition exert a lot of energy to just stand up, uh, which makes a lot of daily tasks difficult and nearly impossible. Um, And this condition also causes those who have it to have pretty frequent, I believe, uh, fainting spells. Um, And according to standing up to POTS, there's one male for every nine females who have it. And it takes an average of two years to get a correct diagnosis of it. I just, I'm going back into what a diagnosis does and Mm. really, like, giving you treatment. Yeah. So imagine having POTS for two years. Those fainting spells, lack of energy when you do anything for two years. Yeah. That's really scary. No treatment. Yeah. No treatment. Anything you're doing is probably, like, homemade, natural and out of pocket yeah exactly and you know i have to wonder if the that statistic was reversed and it was significantly more um males who were diagnosed with it you know would it would it take two years an average of two years to get a diagnosis if it was more uh males who had it right i think that would be an interesting answer i actually have a question in regards to research which we'll get into right And um, next I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS. And the thing about PCOS is that it's actually kind of a misnomer because you technically don't have to have cysts on your ovaries to have a diagnosis of PCOS. Uh, The main marker of it really is having increased uh, androgens, which is male hormones, so having an overproduction of uh, testosterone. And that causes... Uh, a hormonal imbalance and it's that hormonal imbalance that causes um, the people who have it to have very few or very unusually lengthy periods periods of unusual length whether it be uh, longer or shorter than normal Um, and oftentimes the formation of cysts occur when women um, and the females can't ovulate when they don't have the hormones to ovulate um, it affects fertilization, and when it doesn't occur, that's what forms a cyst. So with it affecting fertilization, many people who have it are infertile. Mm-hmm. Um, or they would have a lot of difficulty um, getting pregnant. Um, and I actually have PCOS, and the way that I found out that I have it is that I did not have a period for almost two years and I myself ignored it Mm -hmm. because I thought oh that's normal when you're under a lot of stress Mm -hmm. and I had been under a lot of stress but um, when I finally decided to explore that it was I don't want to say I had to jump through hoops but I went to a gynecologist and then I went to an endocrinologist who ordered blood tests. Did that take you a while to get in to see those doctors? Um, I believe it did. It was more difficult to get an appointment with the endocrinologist specifically. 
Um, and once I got that blood test, that's what showed me that I had increased testosterone levels. That's what, um, that's what was explaining the, you know, the lack of a period. Um, and that also kind of goes to show, you know, it could be a matter of a simple blood test that could get um, a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And um, as you say that, Joe, when we were talking about um, race and ethnicity and discrimination that we see in the mm -hmm. medical setting, I um, had a menstrual cycle at a really young age mm -hmm. and it came on very strong. So I always spent time in the hospital complaining about my symptoms and I don't think I ever once got a blood test done. Wow. Yeah. It's just, you know, the most simple things. Yeah. And we're going to talk later about the importance of kind of pushing for those things. Yeah. I was really just given Tylenol, sit in the bed for an hour, yeah. and then you go home. And my symptoms never really went away. Instead, like, my medication kind of just kept changing. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what would have been found if... I got a blood test yeah. or if one of my doctors were to request, hey, let's see what's going on with you. And it does make me question, like, is it my skin color, my race? Like, mm -hmm. is that why you were trying to get me out of there so fast yeah. or, you know, those types of treatments? Yeah. And there's so many dimensions to kind of that affect um, access to treatment and having, you know, and discrimination in the medical field mm -hmm. and with PCOS Again, it's similar to endometriosis right. in that it's hard to get that correct diagnosis because, you know, they're just going to say you just have bad periods. You just, mm -hmm. you know, it's seen as normal to have. Um, as women, I think it's very important to be aware of these as well. Right. To know that maybe this isn't just my period. It could maybe be right. something else. And that will also help you advocate for yourself and getting the tests and things to find out what it is um, yeah that's and going on ideally there's no harm in getting it checked out but right of course as we've talked about you know it's there's such a high potential for dismissal mm -hmm. um that's only enhanced by other certain uh characteristics that you have um and also pcos it's hard to really talk about it with a doctor um because again it's you know even if you have it and you could say that you have these symptoms, it could be like, oh, but that's normal. Just your period. Yeah. yeah. We did talk about research and whether we felt like if men had some of these symptoms, if it would be addressed differently or if research would look a little bit different for them. So my question really is, does the research and the amount of data we have on women's health affect how they get diagnosed? Um, is it affecting the, the amount of diagnosis as well? I think it definitely is. I think there's really um, a lack of representation in research for uh, women and, and females. That, um, and even going back to intersectionality, talking about, you know, uh, different things that affect women of different races and ethnicities. Right. And I think it's also just that doctors don't have a full understanding of things that are already known, like you were talking about um, how those effects of the Jim Crow laws mm -hmm. have transcended gen generations. Um, 
And it's just, you know, I don't think there's much of an understanding about that. Yeah, really knowing that your environment has a huge effect on your health as Mm -hmm. well. And exactly what you said, Joe, like these women's diseases are, number one, underfunded. Mm -hmm. And like you said, underrepresented. All of the studies and experiments that we do when it comes to these health-related issues, you need participants to do those. Mm -hmm. And what we've learned is that only about 33 of those participants are women. Wow. Although women make up half percent of the population. So women are not being represented in these studies. So my question is, how is it really accurate? These diagnoses, how like do we even know all there is to know with women's health related issues? Right. So we talked about. A bunch of things that women go through, all the scary health issues that we may come across as we age and things like that. But what is it that we can do? How can we advocate for ourselves? So there's a lot of things that you could do. A lot of tips I have here are from our Health and Wellness Center director, uh, Amanda Volkert. Um, But the first thing I have here is knowing your rights. Um, So you have federal rights and you have state protections. So, of course, you should research uh, what protections you have according to what state that you live in or what state that you uh, receive your care in. Right. Um, But in general, there's a couple rights that we all have. Um, First is the right to have all your medical records and the confidentiality and privacy of those records. Um, And within that, there's a right to informed consent which means that your healthcare provider must give you all the information you need to make your decision. If I can um, talk about those topics a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So confidentiality is something that we often will hear in correlation with HIPAA, you might have heard of as mm-hmm. well. That's the same thing. So confidentiality, meaning all of your medical records are yours and you have right over what happens with those medical records. Now, with privacy, privacy can come into play when you give your doctor's office approval to use your medical records and let, like, your mom or your dad or a family member know what's going on. Your doctor would then use privacy to limit the information Mm -hmm. that they would tell them. Do they absolutely need to know everything? What am I telling them? That's privacy. The right to informed consent really is your doctor should be telling you all the information that there is out there in order for you to make the best decision for yourself. Right. So those are all rights that you guys have. Even if you were to give your doctors permission to say things to someone else, they should still be using the right to your privacy and limiting some of that information. Right. And we also have uh, the right to receive care in a safe setting and to be free from all forms of abuse and harassment. And you also have a right to have a representative with you. And this could be a family member or let's say any advocate. Yeah. Any advocate advocate. for yourself. Um, I've heard that some hospitals have turned away representatives or advocates, advocates that you may have with you. And I would just say definitely go to a different um, doctor and see someone else. Because that should be, that is basically illegal (laughs) uh, to turn someone away for that. Yeah. Um, But 
I think in all cases, it's still important to be able to advocate for yourself and stand up for yourself. Um, so the first thing about that is to explain why you're there in your own words. I think some people may feel a little bit intimidated by talking to doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might think that they have to explain things in a certain way. But the truth is that for your doctor to be able to properly assess mm-hmm. your situation, you should explain things in the way that you can and right. be as detailed as possible. Or if I tell them everything, like, I might get judged or they right. might not believe me. So sometimes we don't actually say everything that um, we are experiencing. And with people that may feel uncomfortable speaking with their doctors. Um, Joe, you have a note here that I think is really helpful mm-hmm. for those people that can bring a list with them of yeah. things that they want to address at the uh, appointment or even your symptoms. When you're experiencing those symptoms, yeah. write it down. You can keep that in your notes on your phone or something. If you know you have your appointment coming up, that's the section of your notes that you bring. Right. It's so important to bring that because I hate going to a doctor's appointment and then thinking I said all everything I needed to talk about and then coming back and coming out of it and thinking like, oh, I forgot to talk about this. (laughs) I forgot to mention this. So it's really important to just keep like a running list of things Mm -hmm. that you want to talk about. Um, And when I say explaining why you're there in your own words, Mm -hmm. if something feels like you have a stabbing pain in your stomach, say that. Like, yes. tell them as much as you can. Tell mm-hmm. them, you know, uh, where it is, what it feels like, and if you could pinpoint, like, in what situations that it happens or when it happens. Mm-hmm. You know your body best. Right. Um, and also you should make sure that you understand everything that you're being told. Um, some doctors can kind of neglect to put things in a language in a way that, you know, a non-medical professional would understand. So just make sure, basically just make sure you know what's going on. Make sure you're asking those questions. Um, You know the nature of your diagnosis and any medications that you're taking. Also, when your doctors are telling you your treatment options, you can ask what are my other options? Right. Oftentimes, they'll choose the best um, for you in the moment out of multiple options. Right. If that's medication and you don't want to take the medication, you can ask what are your other treatment options. Right. Yeah, that's super important to know your options and know, like, you know, what does, if you get a diagnosis, asking, you know, like, what does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. Um, what and- services are out there for you? Right, yeah, and if you're taking a medication or you're about to take a new medication, um, what can this do to me? Because a lot mm-hmm. of doctors don't um, tell you the side effects. But I have, I'm, I personally, I have anxiety, so, you know, I especially want to know how something's going to affect me. Yes, yes. Um, and going back to talking about tests, um... You should know what tests that you would want and that would be helpful for you. And you should really push your doctors to order these tests because I think people have this idea that, like, the doctor is always the one to order the tests. Mm-hmm. But you can at the very you can encourage least. It, yeah. yeah. You could say, like, I really would like mm-hmm. to get this done. And now that I'm talking about it, I actually did do this. 
I believe this past spring, I was having this pain in like my upper left side. And I used the my chart messaging, oh, yeah. and I said I described my symptoms, and I asked like, "Can I get an abdominal ultrasound?" Um, and I know that seems like something that can be really nerve wracking, yeah. But it's very important to get those answers because, like we were talking about, you know, it could be as simple as like a blood test mm-hmm. that could tell you a lot yeah. about what's going on. Um. I want to ask, too, like, what happens if um, these doctors refuse the test that you would like to get done? So, if they refuse, and this this is, this move is a little ballsy, but uh, um, if they refuse, you can insist that they put in their records that they refused that test for you. Right. And that way you keep a copy and we encourage everyone to keep copies of all of their right, medical yes, records. Right, yes, absolutely. Even, you know, if everything, I have everything online, but um, mm-hmm. you should really, if you have access to, you should print things yes. out as well. And if that kind of thing keeps happening, and if you keep feeling like you're just not being listened to, mm-hmm. you just keep being dismissed, try finding another doctor. And I know this is easier said than done, because doctors' offices are really, you know, they're backed up, and it could take a long time to get an appointment, but um, it is really important that you have a doctor that listens to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, try to be okay with someone just not being a good fit, even if you've had them for a while, and then, you know, something happens where you feel like, I just, you know, something changed, and I just right. don't feel comfortable anymore. Mm-hmm. And it can happen at any time. It can. It can be the first visit. You can be with them for years. And it's one of the last visits that you had. It can happen at any point where you feel uncomfortable. And you really have the right to go anywhere you want for your own health. Yeah. And it's disappointing. And it's a pain to have to, you know, look for new doctors. But something that can possibly help with looking for a new doctor um, is the second that you feel uncomfortable look into other doctors and set up an appointment with them just to see if that's going to be the right fit for you. Right. You don't have to tell your current doctor, hey, I'm never coming here again. You made me feel terrible. (laughs) That's not something you have to do. You can go home. You can never tell them that and find another place because it does take a while sometimes to get into a place. Mm -hmm. And I think if we aren't proactive and we wait until we need it and then we're told we don't have an appointment until months later, That's when issues can come in. So when we are feeling like our needs aren't being met by one, we can try and look for another. Right. That's a a really good idea. I actually never thought about, you know, um, being proactive in that way. Mm -hmm. And you also have here um, to interview health offices for your health. Yes. I I love that idea because, you know. Like we interview for jobs so much and our health is really important. It's not like one of the number one most important things to us. So why don't we interview these health offices, these doctor's offices to see which one is the best for us? Um, That's something that's in the black community, too. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will talk about um, going to specialized doctor's office that Mm -hmm. focus in black health. Um, Mm -hmm. just because of all the issues so interview these places and find a doctor office that suits you and what you're looking for right and I want to go back to what you said about um, you know 
your health really is in the most important thing that you have. And, you know, all the tips that we just went over, that could sound really daunting. That could sound really nerve wracking. Um, I understand. I have struggled with social anxiety Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's definitely a power dynamic there with doctors. Um, Yeah. But you just have to try to remember, you know, this is for my health. Yes. This is the most important thing that I have. No one knows your body more than you. Exactly. So although doctors are in a power, they're a power above us, they're able to give us these diagnoses, that information is coming from us. Right. So if that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable um, speaking to your doctor, that's a way that you can look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you said earlier... You said at some point, and I agreed, that uh, um, you can't pour from an empty cup. Yes. um, One of my favorite quotes to say is, you cannot pour into others if you do not pour into yourself. Right. You can't help someone else. If you're a mother, you're a student, you're a sister, a brother, anything like that, you can't help anybody else unless you help yourself first. Right. And for some reason, women have a habit of, just going with the flow, yeah. doing our daily things, even when we do have pain. Yeah, just expected to deal with it, really. Yes, and it's just time that we stop operating like that because we're only pouring out of our own cup when we do that. Right. I want to thank the listeners for coming to Boxwood Banter. Thank you for listening. Yes, um, we will be back next month with another fun topic about women. So we look forward to seeing you guys then (laughs) seeing you listening whatever we look forward to speaking with you guys bye (laughs) (laughs) see you later